0: You are listening to Bona Fide Needs, Season Two, Episode Four. Welcome back to Bona Fide Needs. I'm Bill Olfer, managing editor of the PubK Group. In this edition, we'll take a look at the Biden administration's COVID-19 requirements, new small business regulations, lots of news on the cybersecurity front, and other news of interest to government contractors. As we record this episode, the White House and congressional leaders are continuing to spar over legislation to raise the debt ceiling. While all sides are signaling that negotiations are making progress, many issues remain that the parties are calling non-negotiable. Later in this episode, I'll be talking with attorneys from Arnold and Porter, will discuss how defaulting on the nation's debt will affect the economy and federal contractors. But first, let's run through some headlines. The federal government's COVID-19 protocols are winding down. Effective May 12, the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force rescinded vaccination requirements for federal contractors, as well as for federal employees and some health care workers. President Joe Biden also issued a new executive order that revoked previous EO 14042, ensuring adequate COVID safety protocols for federal contractors. The new order directs agencies to rescind any policies arising from the 2021 order. The president's authority to require contractors to mandate vaccines for their employees has been under fire. Multiple circuit courts found that the mandate exceeded the president's statutory authority. However, in April, the Ninth Circuit sided with the administration, concluding that the president had such authority under the Federal Property and Administrative Services Act. Now that the vaccination requirements have been rescinded, the point is moot, but we'll see if this occurs again in the future and how the courts split on the president's authority. As the pandemic response winds down, the Department of Defense is also rescinding multiple emergency class deviations supporting the response. DOD is rescinding class deviations connected to undefinitized contract actions and progress payment rates. The revision to the progress payment rates will be superseded and revised to return to the current customary rate of 80% for large businesses. DOD anticipates that the revision will retain the 95% progress payment rate for small businesses, though. The effective date of this change is forthcoming. 35 small business members of the Aerospace Industries Association are urging Congress to act on legislation that would restore research and development tax incentives. In a letter to congressional leaders, Small business owners and operators addressed how their firms have been harmed by a recent change that requires R&D expenses to be amortized over five years, rather than being allowed as a full tax deduction in the year the expenses are incurred. The bills to reverse this policy have been introduced in the House and Senate. The Department of Labor Office of Contract Compliance Programs has identified 12 large federal construction projects that are eligible for its mega-construction project program for this fiscal year. That project is intended to help contractors comply with federal affirmative action obligations and boost hiring in underserved communities. Each year, Arnold and Porter tracks the Department of Justice's False Claims Act recoveries in real time as they are announced. As of March 31st, the halfway point in fiscal year 2023, recoveries are again trending down from the prior year. By this count, as of March 31st, FCA recoveries totaled $603.4 million dollars, or a projected $1.2 billion for the full fiscal year. If that number holds, it would represent a nearly 50% drop from fiscal 2022, which already was the lowest year for recoveries since 2009. So far this year, DOJ has reached 122 settlements, roughly equivalent to the settlements resolved in the first six months of fiscal 2022. However, the dollar amounts of these recoveries are lower, as DOJ has not yet resolved any blockbuster recoveries of $100 million or more. Those large-dollar recoveries drive DOJ's annual numbers, but this year the Department's largest settlement has been a $69 million recovery connected to an anti-kickback complaint. So far, more than half of recoveries arose from cases brought directly by DOJ rather than by whistleblowers. We'll continue to follow those numbers, and we'll check back in the fall with the final projected recovery. The General Services Administration's Office of Inspector General says that GSA's Transactional Data Reporting Pilot Program is still providing inaccurate, unreliable, and unusable data. The May 1 report is only the latest in which OIG has questioned the efficacy of the pilot program. In its 2020 report, OIG found that GSA had never used TDR pilot data in contract price negotiations. This year, GSA identified one instance where the data was used for contract-level pricing decisions, but both the contracting officer and the contractor asserted that the data was unreliable, and therefore it was not ultimately used. OIG strongly warned against expanding the pilot project unless comprehensive corrective action is taken. In response, GSA said that it has greatly improved data quality over the life of the project and gave no indication that it would discontinue TDR. Federal contractors have only a few more days to comply with OMB guidance, prohibiting the use of TikTok on any IT connected to their work for federal agencies. Specifically, the memo covers any IT owned and operated by federal agencies, as well as any IT used by a contractor under a contract where the agency requires the use of that IT, either as an express contract condition or to a significant extent. Contractors have until May 28th to comply. OMB and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency have issued a common form that software developers can use to self-certify that their products meet the requirements of NIST Special Publication 800-218, secure software development framework. Developers must meet the NIST requirements and file their self-certifications before their software can be used by federal agencies. Agencies will begin collecting these forms in September. The National Institute of Standards and Technology has released two new sets of cybersecurity guidance. First, the agency has published a new draft of SP-800-171, protecting controlled unclassified information in non-federal systems and organizations. The changes are intended in part to help federal agencies and contractors more consistently implement requirements for handling CUI and to help businesses better implement the specific cybersecurity safeguards provided in NIST Special Publication 853, Security and Privacy Controls for Information Systems and Organizations. Comments on this draft are due by July 14. NIST has also released version 1.0 of its Artificial Intelligence Risk Management Framework, The framework identifies six factors for mitigating risk and evaluating the trustworthiness of artificial intelligence systems. The Small Business Administration has published a final rule updating its regulations for the 8 -8 business development program. The final rule adopts a September 22 proposed rule that made several changes to the program's ownership and control requirements, including language governing change of ownership for a former participant still performing on an 8 8 contract and language regarding the bona fide place of business requirements. SBA has also amended its regulations to implement language from the fiscal year 22 NDAA, which provided that the Office of Hearings and Appeals will hear appeals regarding hub zone eligibility determinations. And finally, we are all watching anxiously as Capitol Hill celebrates the biannual raising of the debt ceiling. The White House and congressional leaders have all stated that they are committed to avoiding any default on the nation's debt, but the parties have still not come to an agreement on issues that each side says are non-negotiable. For some analysis, considerations, and practical advice on this issue. I'm joined today by two attorneys from Arnold and Porter's Government Contract and National Security Group, Keith Feigenbaum and Brian R. Williamson. We're going to discuss the debt ceiling and its implications, the likely effect of a breach on government contractors and other entities, and some practical recommendations on what you can do to prepare your company in the event of a default. So, Keith and Brian, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me today.
1: Bill, thanks for having me. My name, as you said, I'm Keith Bagenbaum. I, I practice in uh, Arnold and Porter's Government Contracts and National Security Group, where I handle a full spectrum of government contracts and export control issues. Uh, and in my spare time, I'm also an Army reservist, where I teach uh, government contracts and fiscal law at the Army Judge Advocate General School. Happy to be here today.
2: Yeah, Thanks, Bill. Brian Williamson here. Glad to be here. I'm also an attorney in Arnold Porter's government contracts and national security practice, like you mentioned. Uh, And I'm also a judge advocate in the U.S. Army Reserve, where I get to do that in my part-time. My practice at Arnold Porter encompasses uh, the full spectrum of government contract services, with an emphasis on government contract disputes and some national security matters.
0: So Keith, let's start with you. Can you give us a practical definition of Debt ceiling. Of course, our listeners are hearing a lot about it in the news, but what's the statutory framework we're looking at?
1: Sure, Bill. The the debt ceiling is the legal limit on the total amount of federal debt the government can accrue. The limit applies to almost all federal debt, including the roughly $24.6 trillion of debt held by the public and the roughly $6.8 trillion the government owes itself as a result of borrowing from various government accounts like uh, Social Security and Medicare trust funds. So by statute, the debt ceiling cannot exceed $31.4 trillion. That's the magic number uh, that uh, you're gonna hear, $31.4 trillion. Right now, time is running out on the government and Congress to take action on the debt ceiling. If the debt ceiling limit is not raised, or an agreement between Congress and and the government is not reached by June 1st, so next week, the federal government cannot borrow more and will have to rely solely on incoming tax revenues to finance all of its obligations. So absent some solution in the next week, starting June 2nd, the government will experience serious cash flow problems and be forced to rely on cash on hand, at the Treasury Department and use a variety of accounting maneuvers, which are known as extraordinary measures to avoid defaulting on the government's obligations. And this is all because at that point, absent a solution, given annual deficits, incoming tax receipts would be insufficient to pay millions of daily obligations as they come due, and the federal government will have to at least temporarily default on many of its obligations. These obligations can include social security payments and salaries for federal civilian employees and the military. Uh, They can also include veterans benefits and utility bills among many other costs. Now, one important point in this discussion is that it's crucial to distinguish the debt ceiling from a government shutdown, which many of us are more familiar with having lived through some shutdowns uh, in recent years. The debt ceiling issue is not the same as a federal government shutdown because the shutdown results from Congress's failure to issue valid appropriations that allow agencies to obligate new spending. On the other hand, the debt ceiling limit does not cancel or change incurred obligations, but only affects the government's ability to pay obligations to its citizens, its contractors, and other creditors. While government shutdowns are certainly disruptive and can have serious consequences, some of which we've we've seen, a government default could be disastrous.
0: Going over to Brian, uh, what are some of those implications for government contractors? So what impact could they expect if the government smacks into the debt ceiling next week and starts to default on its debts?
2: Well, first, it's, a, it's important to note that Because the federal government has never defaulted on its debt before, and there's little to no established formal government guidance, we're largely sailing in uncharted waters. However, there are various implications uh, that contractors should be taking account of, like the potential for the government's payment prioritization, uh, rising interest rates, and potential furloughs. For payment prioritization, the government's likely to determine payment priorities in the event of default within the strict parameters of existing federal fiscal or appropriations law. You know, But in, in establishing these payment priorities, our experience and research suggests that the government is likely to pay federal bondholders first, followed by mandatory spending on entitlements like Medicare and Social Security, uh, then federal salaries and pensions, Then they'll probably turn to operational military programs necessary for the nation's defense. And in this payment priority waterfall, the federal contractor payments uh, would likely fall to the bottom, depending on the contract's uh, programmatic policy priority, if if you will. Now, think operational support for the war in Ukraine or nuclear arsenal support contracts likely having a higher payment priority than research and development contracts for new weapon systems. You know, additionally, it's it, it's unclear whether the government will make distinctions between different types of federal obligations, like contracts versus grants versus interest payments, versus, and among others, you know, contractors, individual contract dispute act claims. Uh, and in the event of these disputes, there's the possibility you know, that agencies may only pay already due obligations before committing to starting new ones. But there's also the possibility that the Federal Reserve could raise interest rates in its attempt to mitigate the negative economic consequences uh, from a potential government default, which we're all hoping doesn't happen. Um, And that could lead to the U.S.'s credit rating being downgraded. And these rising interest rates could seriously affect contractors' ability to borrow funds in the face of slow or stop government payments on existing contracts. And there's also the possibility of new federal furloughs from the government's hamstrung options to mitigate the ripple effects of U.S. economic bleeding from its default. And if a furlough were to occur here, uh, federal employee payrolls uh, became another casualty uh, and another consideration of the, the federal government's fiscal obligations, like I mentioned before. And presumably, the federal salaries will be a high priority item for the government, but be because federal employees may not work for free, and that's different from military service members who can be ordered to work uh, with a functional IOU from uh, for future payment. Uh, the government cannot, you know, cannot or maybe will not be able to pay all their salaries for some time, and some federal employees may be furloughed or forced to take time off. And this will affect federal contract administration and the contractors performing. Them because the government simply may not have the staff necessary to timely respond to contractors' communications uh, with the respective contracting activities. Now, in contrast, unlike federal employees, contractors may or may not continue to work. But this would be at the respective contractor's own risk because the government cannot promise to make payment in, in this event. And as such, as early as possible, contractors should seek written direction from each contract's contracting officer on whether work should continue, and that's as early as possible and in writing. Now, although unlikely, some contractors may be required to continue to work if they're deemed essential. Uh, but you know, time will tell, and it, to see, and we'll see if that even plays out whatsoever. But ultimately. Amidst the many uncertainties surrounding the debt ceiling crisis, it's actually unclear how any of these implications will play out.
0: Wow, that is amazing. Given all these various uh, possible scenarios, these implications, what potential uh, direct effects can government contractors expect? What might happen now to federal contractors?
1: Well, Bill, as as you alluded to, and uh, Brian as well, We're operating without any precedent in this situation, uh, which makes it uh, very difficult to predict what Congress, the President, the Office of Management and Budget, the Treasury Department, federal agencies, and the various contracting officials across the federal government are actually administering the thousands of contracts, what, what they will do in the event June 1st passes Uh, without the the debt limit being raised or some deal being struck between Congress and the federal government. All that said, uh, even despite the uncertainty, we can identify some potential impacts on federal contracts uh, that contractors can anticipate now and, and plan for today if they haven't already started. These include the suspension or delay of payments pending resolution of the debt limit uncertainty. Uh, We're pretty sure that that will be a result of a failure to resolve the crisis. Uh, There could be a delay in the issuance of solicitations. So for contractors who are preparing bids, they uh, should not be surprised by delays in in solicitations. Some solicitations could be pulled. And delays in the evaluation and award of some contracts could occur. As Brian alluded to, federal employees could be furloughed. Uh, there could be less contracting personnel on the government side to perform evaluations and awards. Generally speaking, where proper appropriations are in place, we expect that contract performance, absence, stop work orders or terminations, competitions and awards will continue as the government makes the procurement by procurement decisions on where they want to allocate resources. As Brian talked about, Uh, there will be priorities uh, to address. Think national security, think homeland security. Uh, Those contracts might get the resources, but it remains to be seen. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, the backlog of unpaid bills, uh, absent a deal, will certainly continue to grow until sufficient tax revenue is collected. As I mentioned, contracting officers uh, will be expected to uh, issue stop work work orders in some instances, which contractors should insist on getting in writing, And, and there could be terminations in certain circumstances. Contractors should be aware that the government has the unilateral right to stop work on contracts when it's in the government's best interest. That's a nebulous concept that Uh, would likely come about if there were a default and and the government is prioritizing uh, contract spending. We would expect to see contracting officers issuing these stop work orders. Uh, In this scenario, uh, the government may later order a contractor to resume work or decide to um, go from a stop work situation to a termination. So contractors should diligently document events as they occur, Uh, Ask for communications in writing. If the government won't provide them in writing, then document them yourselves. And and contractors should document their costs to avoid disputes later on, or if disputes become inevitable, in order to uh, document your actual costs. As a further practical matter, contractors can establish separate charge numbers in their accounting records to identify costs associated with a stop work situation or a termination to allow for the assertion of accrual price adjustments or contract claims down the road.
0: Very good. So do you have any actionable recommendations like specific steps contractors should take to mitigate some of these consequences?
2: Yeah, I'll start off. You know, there's there are some basic common sense administrative steps uh, that contractors can take uh, and that involve early, frequent written communications with contracting officers. Uh, as early as possible, contractors should discuss with their contracting officers the, the priority of each of their contracts and their possible place in line for different priority payments. You know, however, there, there is a decent chance that contracting officers or agency personnel may not have any idea what the fiscal priority is for each contract. But regardless, contractors should still inquire about this and writing to gather, you know, as much information as possible for their own planning purposes. Further, as early as possible, contractors should discuss with their contracting officer or other agency personnel uh, as applicable whether work should continue in the absence of a stop work order or termination in the event uh, that the government actually defaults on their debt. Now, again, the contracting officer agency may not know the answer, but the more information contractors have, uh, the better they can plan for the possibility of this uh, looming default. Additionally, contractors you know, should carefully track and document all their costs, like Keith mentioned before, you know, invoice amounts for future delayed recovery or potential prompt payment act claims. You know, this is because the Prompt Payment Act requires detailed documentation of such costs. And in doing so, the contractors uh, should not only document as much as possible, but they should specifically record when payments are due to ensure payment deadlines are met and provide written notice to the contracting officer and agency personnel on overdue payments to confirm Prompt Payment Act interest.
1: That's right, Brian. And there's also uh, other accounting and invoicing steps that contractors can take as protective measures in the event of a default. This includes seeking early payment from the government. Um, You could seek payment uh, now based on your financial situation, your risk assessment, the nature of your your individual contract. You can do this even if early payment may affect your ability to recover more later. It's purely a a risk assessment. Contractors can also seek partial payments or discounts for early payments. Uh, These are ways to, depending on your situation, to, to try to get out ahead of what may come. Contractors should also, in, in making this assessment, keep in mind those subcontractors and vendors to whom you owe obligations. You should explore ways to secure sufficient cash to ensure timely payments to these subcontractors and vendors who will also be, you know, looking for payment, and they'll be, you know, they may be looking at you. They're not necessarily going to look to the government. Uh, given that interest rates could increase as a result of even the threat of default contractors can pursue hedge company borrowing or lines of credit with banks and lenders are extended to prepare before interest rates increase so this is a proactive uh, way to to get financing that could be considered depending on your your risk assessment and your your contractual situation
0: that's great that that's excellent advice you discussed some uh, steps that contractors might take, you know if if worse comes to worse, you know as far as if their contract is terminated or if there's a stop work order, what remedies are available for contractors if all these these happen? Um, what can they do if we see this the fallout from a debt breach?
2: Yeah, bill. so one one possible option is that you know, in the event of the government failing to pay a contractor, that contractor might consider utilizing remedies under the Prompt Payment Act and its accompanying regulatory scheme, uh, which can be found at 5 CFR section 1315, if my memory memory serves me correctly, as well as uh, FAR 32.9, and its accompanying clause, uh, which I think is uh, 52.232-25. Uh, you know, these potential remedies are beneficial to contractors because it requires the government to pay interest penalties if the government does not pay the contractor by the required payment date. And some additional, you know, references, resources, or, you know, points that that you might consider are, you know, looking closely at what the definition actually is for late payment uh, in section 1315. And then also consider practical steps that you can be proactive in avoiding maybe some disputes like negotiating with the government to make early payments, uh, like Keith alluded to. If the government deems doing so is in the government's best interest, and things to think of that they might be considering are potentially ensuring continued performance for mission-critical contracts, even in the event of of a debt default. Or, you know, you can negotiate potential discounts in exchange for early payment contractors. Uh, these are just some practical considerations as well as some legal remedies that are there uh, You know that, that all kind of build on top of each other.
1: That's right. But there's also legal alternatives that we view as maybe a last resort type alternatives um, that are available to contractors. In the event the government fails to pay contract costs one option for contractors is to voluntarily suspend contract performance, to, to almost issue uh, your own stock work order. Uh, now, this is a remedy that should not be taken lightly and should be pursued only after consultation uh, with the contracting officer and other uh, government personnel in order to mitigate the risk of negative consequences uh, for you as the contractor. Uh, such as negative uh, CPARS evaluations, or even uh, in, in serious circumstances, termination for cause in commercial contracts or default in, in non-commercial contracts. Uh, so definitely not a remedy to, to take lightly, but one that is, could potentially be exercised depending on the facts of your situation. The government, uh, for its part, could pursue a termination for convenience of the government for virtually any reason, and a default would would certainly qualify within that realm. Uh, In the event of a a termination for convenience or T4C, contractors can recover their incurred costs to date, certain related costs, and reasonable profit. For commercial product or service contracts, contractors can recover a percentage of the contract price reflecting the percentage of completion, plus certain charges resulting from the termination. Finally, as a potential last resort, if a contractor suffers losses due to the government's failure to act on the debt limit, make payments, the contractor can sue to recover amounts owed. Uh, This can be done through a contract claim in court or an administrative uh, forum through an appeal. And uh, the success of that claim generally is going to depend on the quality of the contractor's uh, record keeping. Uh, so contractors should meticulously document costs and events, as you know. Brian and I have been saying throughout this. So now, in conclusion, there are competing political agendas at the heart of the debt ceiling issue that create uncertainty and unpredictability with respect to federal contracts. There are many known unknowns that can be addressed through pro- proactive steps today. These steps can mitigate the potential negative impact financially on contractors. Uh, But paramount among these steps, as we've discussed uh, throughout this talk today, are maintaining open lines of communication with contracting personnel, documenting costs in the event there are payment delays, seeking alternative uh, financing options uh, if they make sense for you uh, in order to, to, to make payments and keep in operation. And lastly, preserving the right to assert contractual remedies down the road.
0: That's fantastic. Keith and Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. That is a lot of information for contractors to consider in what may be a very short amount of time. If the June 1 deadline uh, for the debt ceiling breach is accurate, um, we'll find out next week if we have either a deal or a breach. So before we go, I think one more time we could do a, a quick recap on some of your good proactive measures. contractors, gather intelligence on your contracts and get an understanding of your contract's relative priority for your agency. Submit careful and documented invoices. Consider pursuing alternative lines of credit to cover any periods of non-payment you might be facing. And finally, consult with your attorneys to review your contractual rights for recovery if the government fails to pay you for your work. That's all for this episode, and We'll find out what happens in a week or so, and we may be back with more on this. Thanks for joining us today. Bonafide Needs is a joint production of and copyright Arnold and Porter, providing legal advice and thought leadership for government contractors and the Pub K Group, publisher of daily news and insights for government contractors and their council. This podcast is produced by Mike McGill and Bill Olfer.